We're back. The Turnkey Brothers brought to you by Boise Turnkey with Dan, Mr. Wright, and he's here to advise us how to proactively start your business by speaking with a CPA. Yeah, and he also dives into some areas that we weren't sure we were going to go. He talks about why it can be so powerful to, let's say, hire your children. So he talks about giving them that financial education, uh, teaching them how to work in, in the economy and provide value, and then even furthermore, get into you know their future retirement. So stay tuned. We've got a lot of things to talk about. He talks about the difference between LLCs and S-Corps. We're so excited to have him on. Here we go. Hey guys, we got Dan Wright in today. He's a CPA that's certified public accountant. He's an entrepreneur and advisor, and he's about to tell you why having a tax advisor is way more important than just getting your CPA. Yeah, take it away, Dan. Uh, get us up to speed a little bit on where you're at, how you got here. Like, how does one even grow up? Like, you know what? I'm going to be an entrepreneur, or CPA. I'm going to do all these crazy things. Like, how do you even like get to that stage in life? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll first say that. When you hear the accountant, it sounds like the most boring person you know that, that exists, and they just sit behind a computer, and that's not it at all. I, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, it came. I got into accounting because I wanted to be an active person in a business that's growing businesses, right? Um, and so that you, you do have some that are just accountants and don't mind sitting behind a computer, but I want to be part of growing something, right? So I mean, I, you go to school, you get your accounting degree or business degree. You take tests, you, t you got to get a certain amount of credits, you get accredited by the state for being a certified public accountant, pass tests, which are pretty rigorous tests. And then uh, you have your continuing education every year and got to stay up to speed so that you can advise your clients, uh, you know, in, in what they need to know. I, I can't believe you just wrapped up like 10 years worth of studying <laughs> and hard work into like 10 seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot of, I mean, you can get your CPA license and be a, a CPA. But then it's also the experience behind it. What every CPA might have a different background behind them, right? Yeah. Of what experience they've got. Okay. So you've obviously spent a lot of time um, studying and becoming the professional that you are today in the specific space that you want to be. Um, can you tell us a little more about why this is so important to for you personally to pursue this kind of career? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's one side of I – mean, first of all, I want to say small businesses are the – anchor of, of of the america right that i mean that is what drives this economy and so i love small businesses and i want to and i love people's excitement and passion and hate being able to take any business whether it be in manufacturing whether it be in real estate and whatnot take those and push that to the next level and you know return a reward to the to the the stakeholders right um and so what i'm passionate about is seeing that taxes is a large component of that obviously everyone hates paying taxes Taxes are needed to pay for, you know, our infrastructure, but also people want to save that cash flow so they can continue to build their wealth. And so that's why the taxes to me is such an important component, but that's not every decision, right? Then I'll, I'll, we'll touch base on that. Is that my, when I advise, it's not all about just the taxes because that may not be the best decision at a given time. For sure. I, I want to touch a little bit on something here because I've had this um, in my head for so long about taxes. And and I've read it here or there periodically, heard people talk about taxes. And it goes back, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. and I probably, 90% of this is probably wrong, but from what I understand, uh, when taxes finally came to be what they are today, when they evolved to be what they are today, um, around like the 40s, 50s after World War II, mm -hmm. the, the government realized that they could 
boost the economy by incentivizing small businesses, like you said, mm -hmm. to do projects in lieu of the government. So if you want to get roads done, you credit construction companies to do roads. If you want uh, real estate or affordable housing to get done, you credit uh, realtor, not realtors, but uh, people with de in development. Yep. Right. It, yep. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Am, am I too far from the truth or? No, I mean, taxes are used as a complete political or economical driver. In driver. There you go. That's um, And so, I mean, unfortunately, our tax code, a lot of it is in why it's so complex is because politicians use it as, as leverage and whatnot. In my, that's my opinion. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's make sure that. Uh, to look good, I could give tax incentives here, but then it really generally comes around here. We need a certain amount of tax to run the economy, right? Right. And so when we get a tax break over here, what's going to supplement it? Or we drive the national debt, which obviously, you know, creates other issues. So uh, I would say, yes, you are correct in the fact that taxes, you know, are used in many different ways to leverage or incentivize or escalate. It's like, you know, right. uh, let's say electric cars. They give a credit on electric cars because they want to boost it. You know, their motive is to boost people using electric cars yeah right? definitely yeah so finding those tax incentives or credits whatever in like the real estate world mm -hmm. um will allow you to leverage and maximize your income or profits to further invest right, right? yep okay yep um <laughs> i really want to touch on all this all this because uh People have such a negative connotation on taxes. Like, you don't pay your taxes. That's where I wanted to go with this. Yeah. yeah. You know? And that's so far from the truth. I feel like we, we've, we've become institutionalized with colleges and having this bad connotation like you should always pay your taxes and listen to the government. But, like, that's not what the government's trying to tell you. They're telling you, like, they want to incentivize people to do these things. Yep. Right. Because if you're – the government incentivizes someone not to pay taxes or to put money into their business, which in – lieu of them paying their taxes they're generating more tax consumption or tax generating activities like they're buying materials to upgrade or renovate their businesses or um their housing so that's being taxed and then yep. they're they're paying workers to do the renovations and they are being taxed from their w-2 and they're paying um or they're creating spaces for their tenants to live in which the tenants are being taxed yep and, and I'm a complete uh, proponent of businesses because businesses actually generate. Yes, people use tax code and, and uh, let's say, loopholes and gray areas. I mean, that's why new code comes out because people find a loophole and then they try to plug it up and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, they're being creative, but at the same time, you think about all that industry. Let's say the accounting industry or CPA industry is obviously spending time. They're paying those people to generate those ideas. The point is businesses generate their you don't get a deduction or you're not paying taxes generally because you're spending money somewhere. You're doing some kind of innovation. So it's usually the taxes, you know, the dollars are going into somebody else's hand and they're paying the taxes, right? Yes. Um, and so it's it's a complete cycle and, and an engine. And, and then everyone has their personal political view of, of where that, you know, the tax dollars should be used and how much is needed for tax dollars. But I am a complete proponent of obviously being in my industry of saving taxes because it obviously you're you're either spending in a motive that's increasing your business or you know you're reinvesting into something else that's also going to generate you know, which is profit. how we grow such an amazing awesome economy that's right yeah that's right that's what it comes down to and yep. you you touched on sometimes saving the maximum allotment that you'd have in taxes isn't the right 
answer. Yeah, and it all, for everyone, it's a different story, right? Okay. And that's why everyone's case is so unique. Um, because, but I've seen so many businesses make decisions of, okay, I don't want to pay taxes this year. My cash flow's low, but I'm going to take, let's say, I've got $100,000. I'm going to take $100,000 and let's go, me as a CPA advisor might say, let's go buy equipment or let's go buy this property or let's go do this, right? And it's because to knock down your taxes. Well, then when you go the next year and you want to do something and you've shown a net, you know, for your bank, now you've shown, let's say, a loss or, or, or low income for that year and you go try to finance or you try to buy a property and they're like, well, your income level is too low uh, or you, you need to do some other project or you're trying to ramp up this avenue of your business and now you don't have the cash flow because you spent it on this part. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's where I call myself a CFO and a CPA. So a chief financial officer. So I actually do what is different about me is I do uh, four businesses part-time up to full-time CFO services for businesses. And then what we do there is we actually look at the fundamentals and the fundamentals and the financing of those businesses to forecast to project, to make those smart decisions where we're looking two, three, four years down the road so that we make decisions today that are going to benefit us later. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, strategizing, yep. how you're going to do it. I think they call it like tax strategy yep. in layman's terms, and that was the very detailed version of how that would look. Exactly. That's incredible. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's take this conversation. Let's try to start from the beginner or who is first starting out. Let's say they're starting out building their their small small business. Maybe they're doing a property management company. Maybe they're getting into contracting, like um, uh, doing handyman work or, or something like that. Or maybe they're buying their first investment property. And let's yeah. walk them through how that process would go all the way up, maybe from the low level to the high level. So first thing they've got to do is they've got to okay, I understand that taxes are important, and I'm just paying everything through my business, through my personal account. Right. I need to fix this. How do I get started? Who do I go to? Where can I find somebody? There you go. I mean, I think obviously for me, you can, there are a lot of people that claim to be, you know, uh, I don't even know what they call it today. Uh, they, they'll they prepare taxes, right? You go to an HR blocker, right? But that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, obviously being a CPA is, is you come to someone like me, an advisor that's going to look at the long term and say, what are your goals, right? And how do we structure this and set this up? You can run a, a most a lot of your businesses. You don't even have to set up an entity or or anything like that, right? You can just go ahead. You're sole proprietor, and you can operate, um, and you'll be just fine. You're going to get the same tax deductions, etc. But you don't have then the legal protection that protects your personal life from those from that business also. So you know, from my perspective, obviously, you would at least set up a, a, a limited liability company. Or, you know, I mean, there's all different forms and structures. There's S-Corps, et cetera. We can go into S-Corps, what that would mean later of why you do that. But I usually tend to start, you know, come, let's see what your is. And then we want to separate what is a passive investment, what is an investment activity, and what is an active trader business. So, for example, if you're going to flip real estate and you want to, you know, you want to go in, you want to fix it up, and you want to flip it, right? Technically, the IRS would look at that as an active trader business you're going to be subject to self-employment taxes that, you know, just like a W2 employee, the self-employment taxes on those dollars. So you got to decide, you know, is this a passive where I want to create long-term investments and I'm going to just retain those and we create those as, you know, passive, passive income. So you're not paying the self-employment taxes or you're going to structure it to where we're going to try to minimize those self-employment taxes if you're going to flip property. So we need to look at what your motive is in the long run, long-term investments, passive investor. I'm a W-2. I just work my day job. I'm an invest in real estate. 
That's one thing. Or I'm going to actively flip property or I'm going to actively find properties and turn them into rentals in the long run. Yeah. Those are great. Those are all great questions to ask because when you're, I imagine people are going to interview their, their CPAs and try to get a feel, you know, and, and then when someone like you presents all that information, it's so important because I see far too often that people are like, oh my gosh, they said I have to start an LLC. Like, I'm just going to start it now. I, you know, and they don't even know if they're going to do an S corp or, if, or how they're going to even structure the, the members in the LLC. I know me, for example, I structured mine wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I went to my CPA, he's like, well, you got one, right. <laughs> but we need to change everything. Right. So just finding those professionals, that it's so true in every aspect of, of life, of finding people who are passionate about those different sections, yep. you know, and build your rockstar team around those passionate people. Yep. Yeah, and oftentimes, more than not, I say, uh, we both say, you got to jump out and build your parachute on the way down. But when it comes to taxes, that is absolutely not the way you want to go. You want to <laughs> have a, a very good understanding of what you're your motives are and what you're going to be doing with your tax with the tax codes and how they're written yep. before you just jump into something. Yeah, and I want to touch but just while we touch this just for the viewers is Yeah. You never want to put, well, I shouldn't ne- say you never. Generally speaking, you do not want to put real estate into an S corp. It's not as transferable. It's not as easy to move mm-hmm. it in and out. So I just want to say that a lot of people will get up and they want they hear from their advisor that hey, I want to, I want to save on taxes. They create an S corp. But then they lock in real estate into it. And if I want to transfer that in or out, generally what's called built-in capital gains, mm-hmm. uh, built-in gains that, that can trigger if I transfer that property out of that S-Corp. So I just want I just thought of that while we're doing it. I want to make sure that you know we touch base on it. And that's why you want to get advice from an advisor beforehand. To your point, yes. if you structure it incorrectly, you might you know regret that down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well then let's back it up even further. Do you... Um, most people starting out even need uh, some kind of corporation. Do they need to be incorporated? I always recommend that you. Well, there's two things. There, there's a people have a, a hard time. There's a legal component. So okay. first of all, I think that it depends on what you're into, and mm-hmm. you know, insurance is always your first layer of you know liability protection. But then your entity is your second. And so, for me, it's not hard, at least in the state of Idaho, in most states, to set up an LLC. It's a limited liability company. As long as I operate it as its business separate from my life, it gives me that layer of protection that I'm not liable for what the business does, right? So, yes, you don't, you do not have to. You can operate, but I always say, why, why not create that extra layer? Why not create that extra layer mm-hmm. of protection? So there's that. The other part is, is um, um, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, so you got the LLC. Oh, it's that just protection and taxes, right? Well, protection. And ta- so you can get most of the same deductions in your sole proprietor, mm-hmm. but people don't keep their life as organized when they don't have a business. So if they, because yes. I said the point of keeping your life separate from the business is important. Running my expenses, isolating what is a business expense, what is not. Because if you conglomerate that, they call it corporate or piercing the corporate veil. Mm-hmm. And so from a, a lot of times you're. LLC doesn't create that protection if you don't keep the separation of that. But so when people don't have an entity created, they tend to just con- mesh everything together. So from an advisor standpoint, I always advise set up an entity, et cetera, just because it helps them start compartmentalizing business versus personal. Yeah. yeah. I, I have found personally, and I am no professional guru or whatsoever, but in my own company, like it's been so beneficial to build that foundation of having a separate bank account 
yep. my LLC, having mm -hmm. all the accounting, all of the expenses and income going through the LLC to identify this is business income, this is personal income, and not, what's the word? Um, conglomerate. conglomerate. Yeah, yeah. The, the two. Yep. Yeah. yeah, the best way that I heard it explained is if you're, you have your, your business, your LLC, and you have a credit card for that, and then you have your primary credit card, you go to the gas station or whatever, you forget your personal credit card in the car, so you go and buy snacks on your business credit card. Well, you just technically, unless you're on like a work trip, mm -hmm. you've just uh, pierced that professional veil and now if anything happens to that company, you have a potential of them going back and be like, oh, well, you commingled funds. And now we can attack all of your livelihood on your personal side. Yeah, now I want to be careful. Like to, that is a simplistic viewpoint, uh, way of explaining it, right? Okay. But generally speaking, that it also pertains of how you record that. So if you go in and let's say, I'm going to use that example, you go into the gas station, you spend that and you record it as a business deduction, mm -hmm. then you've kind of conglomerated the two. If you call it a distribution to yourself or whatever type of entity you have and don't count it as an expense, you still have identified the mistake because you even have that in regular corporations where okay. people have an employee credit card and they go and accidentally buy a personal thing on it, they get reimbursed. So if you create the reverse the transaction or create it not as an expense, you're still okay because you can't, I don't want. I just don't want to give the per, the perception that it, man, you do that once, you might as well just give up because it's over, right? That's yeah, not yeah. the case. It's how you record it. Okay. So I, uh, real quick, I just want to like, how long have we been in? I just want to identify the timestamp, how long it took for Dan to call me simple. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's a great point though because mistakes are going to be made. That's right. It's going to happen. Yep. And you want somebody who's on your team that's going to help help steer the course you know yep. something's going to happen to your ship and you need someone that's going to help fix fix the part that you don't know how to fix yep. right. yeah yeah i just wanted to make sure that people don't because i don't want people to also to think that they've they've all blown it all when that happens right there, there's <laughs> yeah, ways yeah, to fix yeah, it yeah, so we're there's always there's always patches but your point is you. correct you're trying to keep the business away from the personal yeah okay so we, we've touched on um where do i even go to find a cpa uh, do I even need to start an LLC? Uh, can I get some advice on, you know, okay, I've got my LLC. I need to move forward. Where where would somebody like that go from here? Like, I bought my first property. I have, I'm generating income. It's my first year of taxes. How can, how can we move forward from here? So, I mean, the first part I would say is tracking your expenses and where you're going to do that. So, f you know, figure out how you're going to do that. If you're going to just take the bank statement, you're going to run everything through there. And you're going to keep it isolated there. You're going to do an Excel or you're going to just start setting that up early. What I have most of the time is a lot of businesses that come in a year after they've been in operation. It's like, what do I need? What are what are business expenses, right? People don't yeah. even know at that point of what a business expense is yeah. and they've been operating a business. So to that point, start and let reach out to a CPA advisor that can tell you, here's the things you need to track. And here's an advice of how you might track those things. You know, there's mileage apps, there's different things for different business expenses that can simplify your life and help you to manage that. But that way you don't come in at the end of the year and just say, here's my taxes. Here's my taxes, <laughs> what, what I have, right? Yeah. Um, and that can be, you know, at that time it can be a little more costly at that for that point. And also things could get missed. You might forget. And a CPA is going to say, here's my ideas of what you do, but you might do something that, that I don't know about right. that I can't advise you because we haven't talked about it before. 
what should you look for in a CPA? Like if you're interviewing a CPA or you're going out and you're trying to find one, you Google CPA. Yeah. What What are things that when you're interviewing you should question or at, or look for actively? Well, my personal belief is one that is obviously you know accredited that has a good reputa- reputation. You know, I think you know uh, a friend obviously relaying that you know uh, a referral is is a good thing, right? Um, personally, obviously why I've built my business the way it is, is because I look at everyone as an individual case and I'm not just, everyone's situation, like I said, is unique, right? So I want someone to be passionate understanding my situation versus the next guy. Cause I mean, if everyone, if you just have a W2 and you come in and you just have a W2 wage or whatever, okay, there's might, may not be much to talk about, but if I'm entrepreneurial or if I'm trying to create passive investment and I'm by, trying to buy real estate and things, there's more and there's unique things about my mission and goals than than this other person, right? So I would advise somebody that is a planner, somebody that looks and says down the road, what is this going to look like versus just, and we all we all do this, right? We try to save the mighty dollar. Oh, this guy's less. I mean, I get that all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you're too expensive compared to this guy, right? But but that's not it. Look at what they're going to provide you. What I, you know, going to HR Block, or I use that as an example because it's notorious that they go in HR Block and, and then I get them like a year or two and I have mortgage brokers call me all the time saying, hey, can you fix this guy's person? Because they can't qualify because it's been done incorrectly, right? Mm-hmm. So there's those kinds of things. But I want somebody that's going to advise me, help me catch the things before they happen. And also, you know, someone I can touch base with, I'm going to make this decision. What's it, you know, what should I do here? So to me, you can't look it up on paper necessarily but it would be kind of interviewing like what's your style is it is it hey we only talk once a year you know i i give you my stuff and we talk once a year or are you a planner are you calling me or are you setting up meetings or can i reach out to you and we can talk about this right yeah there's a lot more involved than just like oh i've got a guy that does my taxes that's like, right you know at the end of the year you do your your tax strategy i don't know how you specifically set up your what your year looks like but I know you've got you've got to take time to plan. You've got to see where the income is coming and going. You need the next so that you can strategize the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some clients that we're talking every quarter. Like you got see? your quarter yep. estimates, right? And it's like, hey, let's talk every quarter to make sure we've paid in enough, or you're at least aware come April what you're going to owe, or they're buying this real estate and they want to understand what's this going to do if I sell this property. You know, there's the personal exclusion if I move into it. You know, all just different different kind of strategy. And that's why it's kind of hard for us to get in a, a time set because yeah. at the end of the year is especially key. We're coming to the end of the year. A lot of businesses are trying to say, what can I do at this point to reduce my tax? Yep. People come in, you know, a lot of businesses come in in April time frame. And they're like, how can I reduce my taxes? Well, we're already past the end of the year. Yeah. It's a lot more challenging to do. Yeah. yeah. Invent a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot stress enough to the listeners how important it is to have a CFO like this because if you were passionate about building uh, a construction company or you know you're getting into concrete and you're laying concrete or you're an investor like those are the things that you're passionate about that you're going to spend most of your time educating yourself on you're not going to spend time educating yourself on the tax code or yeah. how to strategize moving forward that's why it's so important to have somebody like Dan here who understands these things and wants to be on your team and wants to see you succeed because when you succeed he succeed everyone succeeds like it's a win-win yeah. Yeah. What I love is what you said right there is because most entrepreneurs are not, I shouldn't say that, a lot of entrepreneurs are very scattered. They're, they're like this. They're good at this, this part, right, of growing the business. But the details and all that kind of stuff built underline, that's not their passion and that's not what they're good at. They can probably do it, but it, it's, it's not worth their time, mm-hmm. right? 
So it's better to find that advisor to your point that it can be part of the team and supplement because he can be far more, uh, what's a, <laughs> he can be far more effective with his time doing other things versus doing the, yeah, totally. the finance. Right. Um, they, they did a study between Steve Jobs and I forget who his partner was, but Steve Jobs was the visionary and his partner was the conservative one who, who handled everything, right? Yeah. And Apple would not be what it is today had they not had those two separate sides of the brain, right? you know? Yep. So you take the entrepreneur who knows the business and knows full well how to make money, and then you take Dan, the CFO, who can strategize this to maximize your gains, and now you just built a catapult that will launch you into the future. Right. right. So we just hit on something that we touch on all the time in this podcast and on our uh, social media, and that's budget professionals are oftentimes not the way to go. They're gonna cost you more money, in the, or they're gonna cause you to lose more money in the mm -hmm. long run, because they're cheaper, so you have that. That's that's their selling point. But to your the point that you just made is having somebody that can actually advise you two to five years out and teach you like what to do today to make your business grow 10x by then right. is going to make their business grow 10x rather than just paying bottom dollar to get by this last year. Yep. yep. And there's there's the right people for everyone. Some people it's like I want to pay the bottom dollar, I want to pay the cheap thing, and and they go with it. They may regret it later. They may not, right? But for me, it's about I want I want I like to work with people that want to grow, that want to be a team. Like I consider everyone that I'm with, even a small business that I'm not on their payroll, I consider them part, I me myself as part of their team. So it's like, hey, I get the satisfaction out of seeing them progress, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to get a little more tangible uh, with some of this advice that you're giving. Okay. Uh, and get some good nuggets. So. You've got this small company, and to the points that you're talking about, who's just started, you know, or they bought some real estate, or they, you know, they've got their concrete company. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some good things that you advise uh, these entrepreneurs to start heading like in this direction or this direction? Like, are there, and I'm asking this question because I'm not a CPA and I don't un even understand what I'm talking about. So, yeah. are there things that you like your go to things like, hey, let's start here and see what happens? Yeah, I mean, so I think we kind of kind of isolate those as far as there's different things I'd say to an investor versus one that's going to okay. start trying to start a business. So as far as trying to start a business, obviously the first part, you know, I mean, I guess why don't you steer me in the direction of what you want to know as far as taxes? Because I can yes. go into the finance component and say strat str strategically from a business standpoint, it may not be related. The finances is a component, but do we have the right path or do we understand our customers? You know, all that stuff is going to affect the financing component. So I don't want to, I don't want to steer this down the path that you don't want to go. Sure. So, so I'm a, I'm a new GC. I yeah. just got my license and I've got two people under me and I'm ready to hit the ground running. And I've spoken with you. We have started our LLC and I'm sitting down at the table. Um, how can I best prepare to move forward in my first year operating? Okay, so we're touching base on a regular basis to see how you're producing. So one thing is, uh, is important is a lot of your stuff of, of compliance in that part, you know, your payroll. So a lot of businesses have a hard time with, I've got two people, do I create, do I consider them as a contractors or employees, right? And mm -hmm. do I violate that? And you wanna make sure that we understand the componentry of how much work you're doing, are you guiding them? So if they're employees, getting the compliance, the payroll, those kinds of things set up so you're compliant with you know, state taxes, payroll taxes, federal taxes, filing the, the correct forms. And a lot of people have issues with those, right? Yeah. So that that's the first one. Then the second part is, is okay, 
let's understand what you're going to earn this year. You know, d is your earnings so high that we need to create, you know, flip you to an S corp where you can save on some of the self-employment taxes or are you wholly owned or do you own the whole business yourself? I mean, I'd be saying, you know, do you have a child that you can involve? There's a benefit to having your child. If you own an LLC 100% by yourself, that you can employ your child and pay them and you don't have to pay the social security medicare tax on what you pay them so it's and then and then you can charge your kid back when he goes and plays soccer and you can bring the money back so the yes. point is right is that that's a, an additional deduction so your entity structure is important if you want to take you know your business home as part of your deducting expenses you know a home office well in an llc that is a lot easier to accomplish in an llc than it, than it is in an s corp so, you know, right there, it's we're touching base. And usually what, with my clients, we're an LLC for a period of time until we get to, we achieve over what you would have to pay somebody to do what you're doing. So that's a key component, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if you've heard that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, it's, it's reasonable compensation is what it needs to be. So if I can pay, you know, I, I'm operating, I can pay somebody 60000 to do what I'm doing, then I'm going to pay myself a wage of $60,000 as, as an S-Corp. And then everything above and beyond that is not going to be subject to the self-employment tax. But reasonable compensation is important because the IRS hates for that point. They want everything to be self-employment tax, right? Yes, they do. Yep. Yeah. So, go ahead. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of the whole uh, paying your kid, but I think that's super important. Yep. And that's something uh, myself and my wife are very invested in. and Because, like, you're going to buy them clothes. You're going to pay for their soccer anyway. You may as well pay them a wage and get them that financial education up front, you know, so that they're exercising it every day. And I could go on a whole nother topic, but I'm not going to go down there. But I do want to point that what you're saying there is important. They can already start setting up an IRA with yes. that money and other things that, yep. I mean, we talk about the number of years that that can sit in there and grow and what it can become, right? Everyone gets that in school. It's like, if you would have invested and we we're all sitting here 20 years later going, I should have started 20 years ago. Yeah. We can do that for our kids. Yes. Great, okay, great. let's get into that because I, when I first found out about that, I was fascinated because mm -hmm. I always wanted to raise my kids with a financial education. But how do you do that? You know, do you just teach them? Well, no. For me, I didn't learn by being taught. I learned like by doing. Mm -hmm. You know, so how do we get them involved? Do we? When do we get them a credit card? When do we pay them through the company? What? What can they even do for the company? Like, can a two-year-old work for me? <laughs> right. So you know? that is a great point. Yeah. You you do need to take it. It has to be reasonable the the jobs that they do and that you're paying paying them a fair wage for their accomplishments. Now, if you're paying them a hundred dollars an hour and somebody could be doing that bookkeeping, let's say, for twenty dollars an hour, the IRS is going to look at that and go, "Okay, you're paying way too much," and mm -hmm. you know we see what you're doing. So you're supposed to track hours. You're supposed to you know what their capabilities are. So my kids, my kids are perfectly great at using QuickBooks. They can go. I mean, obviously filing filing paperwork. You know, they can clean offices. You know, there's multiple different ways. In every business, you got to look at a little different. What are they capable of doing? But very, I should say, very easily, there is usually always a job that, that those kids can, can do. I mean, I know a lot of general contractors that, let's say, it's going out and doing concrete, and their kids, you know, they're, they're boys that are 10 years and, you know, through, you, you know, you get up to the 18 mark, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and they're out there working with them. Yep. So the point is is that you got to judge what that kid is capable of doing and pay a reasonable compensation you're supposed to track the hours etc but i am a huge proponent first of all of teaching your kids to be responsible and understand i mean to point is my even my kids they take it and take some money and they want to invest in the stock market hey dad like let's let's invest in the stock market show me how to do that right yeah so that's the dollars that they can take and go and, yeah. and play
That's amazing. Um, So, like, the structure, how I was explaining that, like, a six-year-old, because you talked about this, can, like, clean the office. They can sweep. That's reasonable. You know, a nine-year-old, they can help with logistics, like grabbing groceries or going out and getting items with mom and dad and understanding, like, hey, we're paying this. You know, give the lady the money, and we're going to receive it, and they can understand the money works. And then, you know, they go – they're 12 years old. They're going out to the job sites. You know, they're cleaning up the nails and the – you know, they're putting to work. And then, you know, 16, they're driving around, driving back and forth, and it's just a progression – reasonable yep. within your company as as they grow yep so how do labor laws work into this like is it just your child that you can employ and because they're your tra- child it doesn't uh succumb to like any kind of wonky oh you're employing your six-year-old well okay so that just to be clear the benefit of employing your child is that you don't have to pay the social security medicare tax on those wages okay. so you can mm-hmm. follow the other labor laws of you know a child so in a lot of insurance things you know they're going to say you got to be 15 or you got to be 16 to to come on site so yes you want to be particular in what state you're operating and, and the rules behind your your trader business also and your insurance so make sure and keep that in but generally speaking, the benefit here is where you're employing your own kid. Yes, you can employ other teenagers and things. Um, so like one of the other companies that had, you know, we had a bunch of boys for the summer. This was in a robot company where we were doing uh, uh, framing and stuff. And so they'd come and help. And, the, you know, they're all 16-year-old boys. And, and, yes, you can employ them, right? But you don't get the same benefit they're paying the Social Security Medicare tax. Okay. Yep. And then can you, can you employ, like, we have, uh, we have a new turnkey baby. And he's one of our marketing proponents teaching like, hey, you can uh, do all this house renovating even with a small child. Would that be reasonable to employ him as our marketing? So you're saying just like he's the mascot kind of thing? He's a cute face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know there's a lot of like people do use their babies as models, right? And, yep. and different things and get paid. So the, in my opinion, I, I haven't researched that code necessarily. Yep. In my opinion, yes, you could justify a business expense for that. All right. Once again, it would come back to being reasonable. What is right. the reasonable? Yeah. We have a friend who has a clothing company and she only does baby clothes. So mm-hmm. she uses her own daughter right. to wear the baby clothes. So that yeah. would be a perfect example. Very, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very good point. Um, yeah. So for the listeners out there, like this is just one of the things that you can get into that you may not have even known that you had the ability to do. And when I first learned about it, I was blown away. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go back. We were talking about the this general contract who has two employees. You advise maybe going to an escort, but then bringing their home office back and doing an LLC. Is, is there some point where they're going to be starting multiple companies to achieve the most efficient uh, strategy moving forward for for this guy? Definitely, definitely. And it depends on the, I mean, you got to take into account like all the insurance and different components and, and uh, licenses, et cetera. So how you would structure that. Mm-hmm. But definitely you might have a, you might have several different and you might be isolating. So for example, I might have a, a couple of rental properties that I'm going to put in their own LLCs over here, right? And then one of them might be uh, a commercial building that I'm going to lease to my active business um, and so, you know, in this in this active business might be the S corp. So there's multiple different ways you might structure it. Like I said, every case is different, mm-hmm. but definitely you might have two, three, four, twenty different entities by the time we're done, right? Um, and so it all depends on the complexity and the isolation. So, for example, if you if uh, let's say this is an active trader business and you're leasing to, let's say it's a more uh, risky. I can't even think of what it is. A, a more risky type of business, and I want to isolate that 
you know, something happens here, it can't mm-hmm. go get my other L, uh, other real estate, right? So I might that put them in sense. separate. Yeah. And people have the different philosophies of, do I put all of my real estate in one LLC? If I'm just doing investments, do I put it in one LLC or do I put each of them in their own LLCs? And that's different structure. That that could be particular to each person in their situation. Um, generally, I like to keep them separate and uh, and do different LLCs. Yeah. Um, I love that you talked about every person's different, every situation's different, uh, because there are so many strategies and plans moving forward and so many opportunities. And the reason why I say this is because <laughs> you always hear uh, – when people ask these questions, talk to your CPA. Like, yeah. oh, like, okay, I get it. I just, just just give me the answer. Well, this is just a perfect example. The answer isn't that simple because we want to strategize it around your specific needs. That's right. So talk to your CPA because he's going to be the one who can best help you figure out these problems and find those solutions that you need. Right. Yep. So I mean, I want to just touch base on some of the you know some of we're talking a lot about real estate, right, and, um, and whatnot, and I want to make sure people understand keeping their active trader business it's funny i was just on a call with a client before i came in here where we were talking about this very thing like he had he particularly likes to invest in real estate which he's going to keep as a long-term asset so you know that's all we would consider a lot of his passive activity right but then he had a couple this year that he he was going to rent them and then all of a sudden somebody came by and just said hey i'll pay you this for this right and Mm -hmm. and he sold them so, you know, I want to just, you know, people, we need, those are situations where we need to talk to, talk to that person, like what's their mode and operation. Cause if you do flip too much real estate, you could get into a situation where the IRS looks at it as a business, trader business, right? Yep. And so they could pull back as more of a developer or, right. Know, so. Because it's active income. That's right. Can you uh, <laughs> describe what the difference is between passive income and active income? Because there are people out there like who have a W2 job and like, I just want to buy like two properties to yep. bolster my retirement, whatever. So can you talk about the incentives or what they can expect versus like the passive and active side? Yep. So generally it's considered non-passive and passive income. Okay. And so passive income is something where it's generally just generated income. We we all want to generate what I would call passive passive investments. It's generating income by itself. I'm not generally having to do anything personally in labor or whatever to make it generate cash. Okay? So uh, investments in stocks and such, that's considered passive passive investment. Real estate, generally speaking, is considered a passive investment. So uh, it's important that if I'm, so for, if I'm a developer, then I'm involved in real estate, right? Developing real estate, that's different because I'm actively constructing, working on it. Now there's different strategies of holding the land and selling and different things you might do with, with an LLC, you know, to make, get as much of it as, passive activity as it can to get it to long-term capital gains. So generally speaking, also the benefit of passive activity is that's where you get the advantages of capital gains. Okay. So we talk about there's ordinary income, which is generally subject to is my active trader business and, and rental income, I should say, is typically an ordinary income. I, you know, I, I'm federally taxed at an ordinary rate, but when I go to sell that property, I can get capital gains, Right. And so that's more at the, it depends on your income level. Mm-hmm. It can be at 15%. So just touch base on that. Ordinary income can be taxed anywhere from zero up to 37.5%. Right. So, uh, and then capital gains is going to be anywhere. You can actually have zero, be in a, a low enough income that you can have zero capital gains. And then there's 15 and then there's 20. Okay. 
also, I just better touch base and just so the listeners hear it, is that there's what's called net investment tax too. So, you know, you always hear about this, like we're trying to uh, tax the, the rich, right? Yeah. Give to the poor kind of thing. And, you know, the wealthy don't pay enough tax. So there is an additional based on if your income level is over 200, your AGI is over 250000 a year, there's what's called a net investment tax. So they triggered on another 3.8% tax on the items of passive, like in capital gains and other things like in dividends, you know, qualified dividends and stuff that does trigger. So it's not quite as, it's not quite as advantageous. It still is way more advantageous than paying ordinary. I, me personally, I would rather that person keep that money. I don't want it. I don't want him to pay extra taxes because he will do a much better job at distributing that money in the economy than I ever will. So, <laughs> there you go. so we were talking about passive and active income and the benefits of this person having, let's say two rental properties. And you're saying that passive, we want to get to that passive side because it negates like capital gains and the things that you just stated, correct? Yep. So are they are they only able to write off or depreciate those specific passive assets against themselves? Or can they also use that asset to further um, help their like W-2 income? Okay. So so generally speaking, passive in investments mm-hmm. offset other passive investments. Okay. That's generally speaking. So you can have a building of which you, but then you're kind of grouping it. So let's say you have a building that you own that uh, it, you you lease from. You have an active trader business that's inside of it. You can consolidate and take those losses against that that income. But it also now is considered non-passive income at that point, right? You 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 group it. Okay. So, but generally speaking, just for everyone's understanding, because it can get kind of complex. Yeah. Generally speaking, passive goes with passive, active goes with active. So my losses, you know, if I'm generating passive losses, it can only be offset against passive income. That's it. Yep. Got it. Cool. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I don't know if you guys have anything else more to say, but when we wrap, as we wrap this up, uh, one of the last questions that we like to ask is, mm-hmm. what's one thing that you could tell our listeners to do today that would get them further to their goals and help them achieve uh, the things that they're trying to do? I mean, the first one I would say is, you know, I, I know the guys I'm talking to are, are, are active uh, real estate investors. I am a very big proponent. I mean, I'm a, I like diversification. So I think you should diversify your portfolio, whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in active real estate, you know, your different investments in trade or business, et cetera. But I'm a definitely a proponent of real estate. You have a hard fixed asset. So I would encourage, obviously, those listeners to get assets. And I always tell people, never sell your first home. So, you know, I have my first home and I've sold, and I'm obviously grateful for this day because it's done nothing but appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. You get the advantage. And, and generally, I want to just say that, as, or sorry, real estate may not always, sometimes we get this perception that I get a huge write-off, right? Some real estate may not be a huge write-off, but it might be a break-even, right? It might be a, or a slight loss to where, but all you're doing is your, your renter is paying your mortgage. You're creating equity. So I'm paying no tax, but I'm getting equity built. And then later on, there's 1031 exchanges. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of different things, right? A deferral games to build your wealth. So I just want to say, definitely look at real estate investment because it's an opportunity. Now, got to do it right. You know, you can buy things and you can lose on those things too. So Sure. Right? But your advice, never sell your first home because there you, you never know where that would lead you. That's right. Yeah, that's huge. Yep. Great. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on today. It's been a huge pleasure. And I'm sure we could have gotten the weeds about so much, so many more things. But if... If somebody does have some more questions or want to get in the weeds, how can they reach out to you? How can they get in contact with you? Yep. 
Uh, so I my my website is right right so w r i g h t c p a s dot com. Uh, also, you know, can email me at dan at rightcpas dot com. Um, you can give me a call two zero eight eight seven one nine seven four zero. Point is, is I'm looking for you know, and I want people that once again are looking to grow and achieve big things and want to be a partner in in uh, in their growth. Yeah, if you're looking for a CFO, they got them right here. There you go. <laughs> and that once again, I would just yeah. say my big thing is the difference is I'm a CFO and a CPA at the same time. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yep. All right. There you guys go. And that was Dan, Mr. Right. Hey, everyone. We're the Turnkey Brothers. And thanks for tuning in with us today. Don't forget to smash our algorithm with those likes, subscribes, and sharing it with someone you think would benefit from this episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at Turnkey Brothers.